It is the Locked On Nationals podcast. My name is Josh Neighbors. Joining me tonight, Connor Jones once again. We have this list from ESPN.com today. It is the hop, hop, top excuse me, 100 players. We'll get to that in a second. But, Connor, you have not seen the Bachelor finale, but I just want to let you know that you and I were both correct in our predictions. I even made a little graphic thing for it on Twitter, a little audiogram. Uh, Peter Weber ends up with Madison Pruitt. They're dating, not engaged. Um your thoughts on, on Peter's journey and where he stands now. You were saying before the show, you, look, you're surprised Madison would, would stoop to this level and, and be with somebody like Peter Weber. Yeah, I was a little surprised. I, I haven't seen the the final two episodes, though, so I can't, I can't fully comment. It does sound like it was a little bit of a tough scene out there, though. Tough scene for sure, and, and we know all about tough scenes. Um, it's one of our specialties on this podcast. Let's get to this list, though. Uh, you know, so the, I, I took some general notes on it. Look, it's littered with players from teams that you'd think, right? Eight Astros, seven Yankees. Um, any shocks to you in general when you took a look at it or everything kind of seemed? Michael Conforto at number 100, that one felt like a, we think he's in the top 100 and we want him to be eventually. Um, that one to me, there's there's a certain part of this list that feels like they're just kind of projecting in a sense, right? Yeah, I think Conforto is a, a really good player, and he probably can can grow even further. One thing that surprised me was that Anthony Rendon was still behind Nolan Arenado um, at third base. I thought that I would give him obviously biased with his years with the Nats, but I would give him the edge over Nolan Arenado due to Arenado's home road splits with the Rockies. And I think both of them are outstanding defenders. Arenado's gold gloves certainly speak for themselves. Because of what Rendon has been able to do at home and on the road and his playoff performance last year, that was the one that kind of really stuck out to me. Uh, let's get into this here with, with some of the the, the uh, Washington Nationals. Five on the list by my count in case I missed somebody. Uh, four or five. We'll go through them. First one was number 60, Trey Turner. Um, last year's rank, he was 54. And for the did you know, it says yes, there are still a few base dealers out there, and Turner is chief among them, the only player with 30-plus swipes in each of the past four years. Turner has also had uh, an 850 OPS, I believe it was last year, best since his abbreviated rookie season in 2016, and closed out strong with an 898 OPS after July 23rd. So your thoughts on Trey Turner, the shortstop for the Nats at 60. Yeah, Trey's kind of always been the guy that makes the Nats offense go. When he's in the lineup, they've typically been a really good offense. When he's been injured, they've struggled to have the guys at the top of the order to get on base and set the table for their for their producers in the middle of the order. So I think that that's certainly fair for Trey. I think the big thing for him going forward is just he needs to stay healthy for a full year so you can see what he can do for a team over the course of an entire season. We've seen him get some tough breaks with hit-by-pitches. I believe he's gotten injured sliding into a bag before. So stuff like that. If Trey can stay healthy for an entire year, I think that he can have a major impact in really all ways throughout the game, defensively, on the base paths, and at the plate as a hitter. So I want to ask you a question about stealing bases. Corbett Koslack brought up a great, a great point the other day. We were talking about how many steals we thought Ronald Acuna Jr. could get this season. And Corbett's thought was, look, for star players, you don't want those guys sliding as much. And, with Rendon's departure, I feel like Trey does become a bit a bit more important to the lineup, just in terms of how he's producing and, and the way it's going to be filling a hole. 
Do you think they're going to ask him to steal as much this season? I think they're going to ask him to steal less often because of the reasons you just mentioned. I think that there may be times this year where we see him in the three-hole instead of leading off, and you're not going to see guys steal in front of Juan Soto very much, if at all. No. And because of that, because of the importance he's going to bring now as a hitter without having Anthony Rendon in that lineup, I think that they're going to definitely not completely shy away from having Trey steal bases, but I'd say the percentage of time that he runs when he's on is going to be less often than we've seen in the past. I'm counting right now, and I believe that there are, yep, there's eight shortstops that are in um, in front of Trey Turner. And I'm going to tell you who they are. It's Carlos Correa. He's at 49 on this list. Uh, Fernando Tatis is number, is number 41. Marcus Semien from the Athletics is number 35. Torres, Trevor Story at 30. Xander Bogarts as well, Javi Baez, and also Lindor are on there. Are any of those guys, do you think, is Trey ahead of any of them? Does it really matter if he is or not? I mean, it's you know, this is called kind of fun and games that we're having right now anyway. But are any of those names, you know, do they belong there? Do you think Trey belongs a little bit higher? You, it depends kind of how you're evaluating it. It's If you're looking at who had the best 2019, that's one thing. If you look at who's had the best overall career over the last five years or so, something like that. Then, then maybe it's a different argument. I think that at that point you'd say Trey Turner is probably ahead of a guy like Marcus Simeon. Obviously, he was fantastic last year. So if you are weighting that heavily, then I think it's fair to have Simeon even higher in that conversation. But I think all in all, I think it it it's pretty it's pretty fair. I don't have any major gripes with kind of the order of the shortstop there I think when you look at someone like Simeon how outstanding he was last year not only the numbers he put up but playing in all 162 games for Oakland that those things is why he's getting the edge there and I think that's understandable yeah and and the one thing that strikes me the most about all those guys in the list how young they are I mean there's a lot of young dudes at shortstop uh, that are really really good in this league and obviously it's an athlete's position that kind of favors young guys that was the one thing that was surprising to me too Uh, all right so moving down the list and I guess I could I mean, do you want to attack these pitchers individually? You want to attack them together? Because the three of them, obviously, Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin, they're all top 50. They're all top 40, actually, too. Corbin's at 33, Strasburg at 16, and Scherzer is third. Scherzer's the third best-ranked um, starting pitcher. Strasburg is fifth. Corbin, I believe, is somewhere in, in uh, around 10 um, uh, in that area. So 33rd, 16th, and 7th. Uh, th- yeah, seventh respectively uh, for the pitchers. Thoughts on that? I I agree with it for the most part. I think the point I was bringing up about recent success compared to maybe looking at over the last five years or so, I think Max Scherzer, you could really still make an argument for him being maybe the second best pitcher in the game after Garrett Cole. It'll be more. It'll be interesting to see what Cole does in a new environment in New York. And Jacob deGrom's obviously been outstanding with the Mets. So I think with those three, you clearly have the the top three pitchers in the game. I think Strasburg gave himself a major bump because of what he did last October. And I think that it wasn't just kind of a, a one-hit wonder kind of thing. We've seen him be great for the Nats in postseason starts in the past. Unfortunately, up until 2019, those just didn't lead to any series wins. And, and then we lastly touch on Patrick Corbin coming in at number 33. And Corbin was given the award, the Warren Spahn Award, for the best pitcher in the game last year. So I think all three of those guys, you see why they're up there. They've all, without, you take any of those guys off the 2019 Nats, and they don't win that World Series. 
and we see why those three are three of the most outstanding pitchers in the game. You know, I think Max Scherzer is going to be a big, big talking point for not just you and I moving forward this season, but you know, I guess everybody. And we've seen older guys make impacts, but I always wonder with a guy who gave so much like he did last year. Um, I think we're going to see the strikeouts. Do you think we're going to see that kind of at the same level that it's been in seasons prior? I feel like that's the one area where he might not relent. I feel like the strikeouts are going to be up. If with Scherzer, as long as he's healthy, I think we're going to see him remain the pitcher that we've seen over the last few years, ever since he really signed in Washington and towards the, the end of his tenure with the Tigers. I think that he's a guy who he works on his craft to the degree where I don't expect there to be much of a drop off from one season to the next, even with his age. The only thing that would concern me is maybe with his age, he gets injured more often and then with that we don't we don't see him put up those kind of numbers so if that happens i think that maybe scherzer drops off a little bit if he's healthy throughout the whole year i think we're going to see the same guy uh and then for strasburg too coming in uh in this kind of teen range right at, right at 16 feels like the right spot for him right i mean after the performance he put up last season he's got to be considered one of the best 20 players in the game he, he gave us that long sustained look at what we'd always hoped that he could be yeah it's it's if you ask who you'd like to have you can pick one pitcher in the game with your season on the line to give the ball to it's hard to find a guy that you'd feel more comfortable giving the ball to than Steven Strasburg I think that you look at his track record of big starts the way he performs even in the even in the regular season and then what he did last postseason I think Strasburg's one of if he's not your top option he's near the top for seasons on the line one game who do you want on the mound and then Corbin too you know you already touched on him but he's the other guy I want to go back to the top of this list and we'll get to Juan Soto in a second but Garrett Cole and Jacob deGrom here at two and three um the only knock I could find against Jacob deGrom, and I'm not sure if you've seen this record, I believe in his two Cy Young seasons, the team's record, the Mets' record with him pitching, is like 36-45. and 45. It's not good. I heard this on one of the, I believe it was a Mets-Nats spring training broadcast. I mean, how unreal is that? But he's still undoubtedly one of the top five pitchers or top five players in the game, right? Yeah, I think it's not fair to hold that against Jacob deGrom. Obviously, he's not getting paid to hit. So when the Mets don't score runs when he's on the mound, say he gives up one run over seven innings, he leaves the game, it's 1-1, and the Mets end up losing that game in the ninth or in extra innings or whatever it may be. I think that you can't hold that against DeGrom when you talk about the caliber of player that he is. I think he's up there. He's in that conversation with Scherzer and Cole and whoever else you have at the, at the top of the the list as far as pitchers go across major league baseball, but he's been in some, he's had some really tough luck with the New York offense and particularly the run support he's gotten as a, when he's been on the mound as the starter. Garrett Cole, you expected the same production as last year. I'm kind of thinking there's going to be a little bit of an adjustment period. I think he'll have a great year. I think because he's pitching in that, in the New York ballpark, it's smaller that I don't think he's going to have, quite the same statistical numbers it'll be interesting to see how the Yankees hold up health wise because if they have injuries maybe that team doesn't win as many games as the Astros did last year so maybe he doesn't have that run support to have the record and have the the team wins when he starts that he did last year in Houston so Cole I think he'll do great I think overall I think that 
he likes to throw the fastball up in the zone, and I think that could lead to some home runs, especially in the small ballpark like New York. We saw that in the World Series against guys like Juan Soto, where they hit his high fastball out of the ballpark. And if that happens, that may drive the ERA up a little bit, so I think that'll be higher. I don't think he'll have as good of a team record when he's on the mound, but I definitely think Cole's going to have a year that's still comparable to anybody in the game. Um, and then finally now we'll go to Juan Soto, and here's the did you know um, on this one. Seeing Soto's rise this fast might shock some, but he is a hitter good for 34 home runs and on base north of 400. Um, and then obviously it mentions, you know, before his 21st birthday, he showed marked improvements in some areas of his game slugging uh, against off-speed uh, stuff as a sophomore, managing a mark of just 306 as a rookie. He got up to 584 as a sophomore. More of that kind of growth won't just keep him here. It would take him to an even higher level. Look, I actually, after talking with you, you know, this offseason, I actually expected to see him higher than 11th. And I know it might be the right spot for him, but, you know, if, 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 if his performance last year is any indication, and I know there's a lot of heavy hitters here, I mean, he's just as good as Lind- Lindor. He's going to be just as good as Arenado. And then, you know, he's, he's going to be one of the best in the league. He's going to win MVPs, right? Yeah, I think he's certainly capable of all of those things. And I think the biggest thing with Juan Soto is he's always looking to improve on whatever you may classify as a weakness of his game. So coming into the 2019 year, he was a guy that needed to get better in left field. He didn't have the reps as a defender. He was a young player, didn't have the, the games in the minor leagues. And you saw he made marketable improvement in – in left field from 2018 to 2019. So you come into another offseason, and, and I kind of ask myself, what Juan, what is Juan going to improve upon from uh, from 2019 to 2020? Because he's still a young guy. He still has areas for growth as talented as he is. So I think that right now maybe a, number 11 is a, is a fair spot to put him. But going forward, is he going to be a top 10, top 5 player in the game who's capable of winning an MVP or multiple MVPs? I think the answer is absolutely. Yeah, I think there's no doubt about it. And and eleven, it feels like is just a, it's a launching point, right? It's it's going to be a springboard. It's going to be a spot that we're going to see him, um, see him roll from, and uh, and get better. Um, one more thing, and this is about, not just this, not this list, but uh, the regular season coming up. Um, how do we feel about the Nats opening this season on the road? I feel like that's that's not how it should work for for a defending champion. Yeah, well, the the schedules come out so far in advance. Right, exactly. That, I know, but it just doesn't. It feels odd. Yeah, it does feel odd, especially because you have NFL where they the champion opens at home on Thursday night, and you have NBA where opening night a lot of times you'll see the champion at home uh, unveiling their banner at that point in time. And then baseball, the schedules out so far in advance that the the ring ceremony that sort of thing may come in the second week of the season, which it will with the Nats. Which, yeah, I agree. That's a little odd having the defending world champ start on start on the road. But at the same time, I'm guessing that the, the MLB schedule makers probably didn't anticipate that the Washington Nationals would win that World Series when they made the schedule. Yeah, no, I, I understand. I, I just I pointed out, you know, their first right, like you said, their first six games will all be played on the road. We're gonna see them go to New York, which, I mean, it's gonna have a there's going to be a festive atmosphere, right? They always have that daytime game against the Mets that, that opens up the season. Um, it's going to be a festive atmosphere. I mean, look, it's Thursday, March 26th is the opening day, uh, 16 days away by my count, 15 when this podcast will be released. How excited are you for opening day? Yeah, that's going to be exciting. And that, that should be a good series 
for not just the fact that baseball season will be back, but because the pitching matchups you'll have in that Nats yeah. Mets series, you're going to have great starters across the board if everybody's healthy going into that one. All right, Connor, thank you for joining me once again, just a little bit over two weeks away. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Josh. Thank you for listening to the show today. Make sure you check out the Locked On MLB podcast, podcast dedicated here on the Locked On Network to cover all things Major League Baseball. They have a lot of the local guests on the show hosts from around the league. They'll come on and break things down. So make sure you check out the Locked On MLB podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.